walk this way. Now, if you're like me, I will tell on myself. Some of y'all already know where I'm going. Look at y'all. I know we got some Aerosmith fans in the room. I've seen it. Man, when I was in high school, I loved everything about that group from their old music. Okay, I'm not going to say old music. From the music when I was born back in the 70s all the way through the 90s. And I love that one song, Walk This Way. I can't use that as a sermon illustration because what follows that is not good. Okay? Some of you country music folks like that song, A Little Less Talk and A Lot More Action. Stop right there because you can't go on with that song. All right. But if you use those two songs that have ungodly meanings and you turn it to the gospel, we need to start walking a different way in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not, it didn't say talk this way, it said walk this way. Come on now. And it says a little less talk and a lot more action. Man, I'm ready to see that in the body of Christ. And today's message is all about action in the body of Christ. Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27 says this, then Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, everybody say does them, everybody say does them, will be like a wise man, everybody say wise man, those two, four words, great correlation, does them, wise man, that's all you got to remember, I'm not asking you to remember anything else, does them, wise man, and I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see some wise believers rise up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. So equate those words. Does not do them foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and listen to this and great was the fall of it it didn't just say it fell it fell with a great collapse we must begin to equate those words that does them equals wise man does not do them equals foolish man if you're a foolish man you will have a great collapse you can go home. You're blessed. Amen. That's the message. I'm just saying. I got more to it. But that is the gist of it this morning. Does them equals a wise man. Does not do them equals a foolish man. Now, I want to backtrack a little bit. And Jesus is saying this in Matthew 7, 24. Now, this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody say the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' coming out party. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' big coming out party, his big reveal, as you would say. And most people, we misconstrue this a little bit because we think that Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount was speaking to the masses, but he was not. He was only speaking to his disciples. The masses were there. It says great crowds came to him, but he was specifically talking to the disciples. And he was saying, disciples of mine, if you are a wise man... You will do what I say and you'll be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. Disciples of mine, if you hear these words of mine and do not do them, you're going to be like a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. And he was giving his manifesto, for lack of a better term, of his three-year ministry. What Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount is setting up what he's about to do over the next three years. And in doing this, he says, disciples, if you hear these words of mine and do them, or if you hear these words of mine and walk this way, everybody say, walk this way. If you hear these words of mine and walk this way, you're going to be like a wise man. If you hear these words of mine and do not walk this way, 
you're going to be looked up as a foolish man, and great is your collapse. Now, we've got to understand, the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus just said here is Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. I want to challenge you in the year 2017. I'm giving you a a 40-day head start on 2017 devotionals. Read the Sermon on the Mount all year long. Nothing else. Some of you are like, well, I can read it in in five minutes. Well, I don't care. I don't care how fast you can read it. I care how quality of reading you have. Because I can read it all day long. But there's got to be a change, a transfer from here this way to walk this way. Come on now. And I want to challenge you in the year 2017, read nothing else but the Sermon on the Mount. And here's why. If this was Jesus' manifesto for his whole ministry and everything he was about to do for the next three years of his life, that would be the redemption for all mankind. Don't you think the church world ought to become a little bit more acquainted with the Sermon on the Mount? Come on now. And if this was his coming out party, if this is the first message that he preached that the masses actually heard, don't you think we need to be a little bit more acquainted with it and what it actually means? Now listen, the last two and a half years, three years of my private devotional time, I have read nothing but the four Gospels. Now I love the Apostle Paul. I love the Apostle Peter. I love the Apostle John. I love the writers of the New Testament. But I love Jesus, and if I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, before I can figure out what Paul was building on, first got to figure out the foundation. Come on now. I'm not saying I've arrived. I've got to get this foundation thing a little bit better in Joel's life because the greater the foundation, the greater the structure that can be built. And so I've been focusing on what did Christ say? What did Christ do? What did Christ want to accomplish? What was Christ working on? Because when I figure that out, I won't mess up what Paul said. When I figure that out, then I really know we're saved by grace, through faith. Come on now. I'll begin to understand it different. I'll begin to walk it different. I'll begin to look like who I want to look like, and that's Jesus. No offense to Paul, I love him. But Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul said, don't even try to look like me. You need to try to look like the Christ in me. And if Paul's saying that, I love Paul. Don't get me wrong, he was great. But Jesus was perfect. And so I think in the church in the year 2017, we need to put such a strong focus on the Gospels We need to put such a strong focus on the Sermon on the Mount. And listen, if there's something in the Sermon on the Mount that rubs you the wrong way, you need to turn around. I'm just telling you. If there's something in the Sermon on the Mount that rubs you the wrong way, you need to turn around so it'll rub you the right way. I'm just saying. You you, you ever know when something's all laying that way and you rub it that way and it's rough? Turn it around. You don't get friction. Some of you got friction in your life because you're turned the wrong way and you're, the gospel's rubbing you wrong. Come on now. I'm not going oh, to get into that. Yeah, I am. Some of you got friction in your life because you feel the gospel's rubbing you the wrong way. Maybe you need to turn around so it rubs you the right way. And if it does rub me the wrong way, I need to stand up and say, praise Jesus. He's revealing something to me that I hadn't gotten right yet. And if it is too high of a standard for us to obtain in the 2017 United States culture, maybe we need to raise our 2017 standards. Thank you, Jesus. Can we not raise the standard in the church? And watch what God begins to do. 
So the Sermon on the Mount is some of the most amazing words Jesus ever spoken. And so my heart for you in 2017 is you get so familiar with Jesus. Because in my three years of private devotional time, I've spent only time on the Gospels. But one afternoon, I said, I really want to see how this is working. And so I flipped over to my favorite book of Paul that he wrote, and it was Ephesians. How many of y'all love Ephesians? I ain't ever read Ephesians like I read Ephesians that day. Because I read Ephesians on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and then I knew the armor of God was more than just some symbolic thing that Paul was talking about. It truly was the word of God making manifestations in my life and overcoming every evil force in heavenly places and and watching God do an amazing work. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So in 2017, as a church, I want us to become real familiar with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not the American version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. I don't need an amen on that because I know we have the American version of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus Christ was not blonde-haired and blue eyes. (laughs) It's going to stop. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. He's not a white Jesus. Can I just say that? Y'all drive me nuts. Walk into your house, little white Jesus hanging on the wall. Are you kidding me? He's Middle Eastern. Come on. I mean, really. And, but we want the American version of Jesus. Man, let's get the real Jesus. And if it rubs you the wrong way that he looks like somebody that has something on his head that, that you would freak out if you walked in a store. Come on. He looks like a person from the Middle East. And if that rubs you the wrong way as an American, turn around. I'm not anti-America. I am pro-Jesus. And so in your life, in our year of the Sermon on the Mount, and next year going through the Gospels, as we put great emphasis on them, listen, I, I, I want you to understand that when we get this foundation thing put in place, you, there's not a movement coming. There's a movement that can't be stopped. And that's what I'm excited about for 2017. So I put great emphasis on the Sermon on the Mount. And we understand that when God begins to answer prayers, he doesn't just want to answer prayers for us. He wants to answer prayers through us. And by answering prayers through us, that makes us co-laborers in Jesus Christ. Co-laborers. And this means Jesus just didn't talk. He displayed it with breath and action. Co-laborers means equal responsible partners. Jesus did his part. He came, he lived, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was raised again from the dead. He came back and spoke to people, over 500 people, over a 40-day time period. The ascension happened. And he said the power of God's going to fall at Pentecost. 50 days after his resurrection, the power of God fell, thus Pentecost. And then he said, now we can be co-laborers. I don't want to do it for you. I want to do it through you. I don't want to do it for you. I'm ready to do it with you. I'm more than an example for you to follow. We're now co-laborers, equal partners in this ministry. Come on now. And I love the way God works. It's not 50-50 partnership. It's 100%, 100%. He gave you 100%. I'm giving him 100%. He didn't give me 50%. He gave me all of it. So in my life, he says, I require all of it. And so we're co-laborers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this means equal partners. And so as we do this and we go through this, I want us to realize when 
when we read Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Have you ever seen somebody truly confident in what they say? I mean, truly confident. Have you ever heard a preacher not confident? Don't follow him. Here's why. If you find somebody truly confident in what they say, they have great authority and knowledge and ability in their life to back up what they're saying from a platform. See, I don't want you to follow my speech. I want you to follow my actions. Because if you just follow my speech, you're just following what I say. I want you to follow my actions. Jesus said, do what I do, not just say what I say. See, a true disciple of Christ doesn't want to just uh, uh, know what the rabbi knows. He wants to do what the rabbi does. Right? And you're you're a follower of Jesus Christ. We should want to just do more than know what what our teacher knows. We We do need to know what he knows, but we should want to be able to do what he did. Because a lot of us know a lot, but we don't, but we're good hearers. And the Bible says, it doesn't say those who hear these words of mine will be like a wise man. It says those who do these words of mine will be like a wise man. So for you to be truly confident in what you say, that means you have confidence in your abilities to back it up. Now, a question comes to mind. If you saw the world's best UFC fighter standing on the stage, Would you get up with confidence and talk trash to him that you could beat him in an event? I'm crazy, but I'm not dumb, all right? I mean, I would shake his hand. I would say, hey, can you do a fake move on me and I'll act like I'm hurting, right? But he will speak with confidence because he knows he can beat everybody in this room at any given moment and probably about 10 of us at once, right? He will speak with great confidence because of his knowledge and his ability that will back up his words. When I preach, I preach with great confidence, not in who I am, but because of the knowledge and the revelation knowledge that he's given me. And when he gives you the knowledge, he's also given you the ability to back it up. See, a lot of people say, we we love Jesus, we'll praise him in a church. But we're not confident in our ability outside of the building to back it up, so we're silent. See, see... Most people don't lead somebody to Christ, not because they don't know Christ. They're not confident in their knowledge and ability to lead somebody to him. See, you're confident in your decision. You're not confident in your knowledge and ability, though, to lead somebody else into their decision. Therefore, you're silent. So if you want to lead somebody to Christ, you need to get um, knowledgeable and, and get some ability in leading somebody to Christ. Okay, And in doing that, you'll have confidence out there. So when you see somebody in Walmart, you're like, oh, you need to know Jesus. Right? And you'll walk up and you'll pray a prayer and you'll lead them to Christ. And then you're not going to leave them there. You're going to take them to church. You're going to help disciple them. You're going to help walk them when they walk with Christ. And that's where most of the church falls into a panic because I can't do all that. Sure you can. You just got to start developing knowledge and ability. Then you'll back up what you say you already do and know. And so in this, we become co-laborers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, he's talking about all of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, not just the previous statement. And then he will be like a wise man. And then everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, I want to encourage you with this. 
It rained on both houses. It flooded. It came to both houses. The winds came on both houses. Both houses took a beating. The house that stood is the house that heard and did. Come on now. The difference. Many of you, your marriages get beat down by the rain. You get flooded with a bunch of junk and circumstances in your life. It feels like the winds are getting stronger and they never quit beating against your house. It feels like your house is taking a beating like it's never took before. And how does one marriage stand strong and one marriage fall with a great collapse? Because one marriage stood over here and it wasn't just I heard the word. It's I heard the word and I went home and I did the word in my household. Because I understand when the winds and the rains and the beatings come, it doesn't come against the church. It comes against my individual house. And if the enemy's going to destroy a church, he's going to destroy the house house and when he can destroy the house he can destroy the church so when the winds and the rains and the floods come it's not coming against TWBC as a whole we experience that on a different level but it's not just coming against us as a whole the way the enemy works is I know when the devil is upset because family and marriage counseling increased by about 30% if he's going to attack the church he's going to do it through the family the greatest tragedies I've ever seen are people who were well engaged at TWBC. Now hear me. They were well engaged at TWBC. And they ended up getting a divorce. And now neither family doesn't just come to TWBC. They don't come to church at all. Listen, if you, if you want to come here and you've been divorced, we got two services. Y'all come to one and the other come to the other. Come, I mean, we got enough for both of you. Come on now. I tell couples that all the time. If you've been divorced and you don't want to see him in the same service, we got two different services. And I know one of y'all was a morning person and one of y'all wasn't because we had marriage counseling. Come on now. Morning person, come to early service, right? If he's going to, if the enemy is going to win, he's going to come against the house. Jesus said, he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. You remember a couple messages ago, I did practice. We're not just practicing, we're practicing perfect, we're practicing Jesus. He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. I don't just speak over my kids and stretch my hands out towards my kids when they're going to children's church. Every night before they go to bed, I lay my hands on both of them, I hold their hands, and I pray over them, and I say they're fearfully and wonderfully made. God has great and mighty plans for life. There'll be mighty leaders upon this earth. The blood of Jesus covers them. The angels of God surround them. They're healed and made whole in Jesus' name. No weapon formed against them can prosper in Jesus' name. And I, and I go on for about three more minutes over my kids every night. So when the rains come, when the floods come, when the winds come, when our house is taken a beating, my kids don't think there's anything wrong because we're not just doing it at church. We're practicing it at home. So when it happens, there's a reason me and my wife can do ministry weeks like we did this week and our kids not be negatively affected by the ministry. It's because we put into practice at home what we do every Sunday morning here every single day of our lives. So when the beating comes, we stand strong. The difference is, you can do it at church all day long. If you don't begin to apply it in your household, you are like what the Bible says. Those who hear these words of mine and do not do them are foolish. 
Because the enemy ain't coming here against all of us. We're in mass force. He's freaking out right now when we gather together. Oh, but when this couple goes home and they get separated from the masses, then I can individualize them and I can throw a beating on Larry and Tammy through medical issues and through financial issues and the winds and the rains and everything. And if they're not putting into practice what they hear on a Sunday, Jesus wasn't lying. He says, you're going to collapse and great will be the collapse of it. And what does that mean? Oh, there's another Christian family ending up in divorce. See, it doesn't help at all going to church all the time. Going to church is great, but if you don't apply at home what you got in the church, the, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Start thanking him for all the things he's done in your past at your household, how he brought you through. How, listen, all you couples who have been married 10 years or longer, hold your hand up. Are you in a better situation now than you were when you first got married? If you are, hold your hand up. Financially in every way, shape, and form. Right? Okay. So in this process, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's brought you through from where you started to where you are now. And you ain't even been exercising the principle. Right? So in this, what would happen if you actually exercised the principle, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, what he's done when I didn't know what he was doing, think what he can do, do when I do know what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And if you thought your life was good because it's ten times better, God's about to go exponential on your marriage. Come on, some of y'all should celebrate that. Yeah. And those of you who just like, oh, Lord, I can't take my spouse having that much more Jesus, it just means you got to get that much more Jesus. <laughs> right? Come on. Get in on this thing. Watch what God can do in your life in an amazing way. We are co-laborers, but if we're going to be co-laborers, it didn't say co-listeners. Co-laborers means co-doers, co-workers. We're working on this thing together, and we're not just hearing the word of God that says go out and feed the hungry and the homeless and take care of the widows and the orphans. We're doing it. It's not about, oh, I'm going to bless all them people driving today. No, I'm fixing to be a driver today. I'm fixed to accomplish the work of God for my life. And in doing this, it's not just what you do, but how you do what you do. See, there's a big difference between humanitarian aid and anointed ministry. We're not just feeding hungry people this afternoon. Feeding hungry people is just humanitarian aid. I've got a heart for humans, so I'm going to take care of a human it's called humanitarian aid. Organizations, nonprofit organizations do this all around the world. And you know what? They feed people every single day. And guess what? They wake up hungry again tomorrow. Jesus said to the woman, you come to me and I asked you for water. But if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water and you'd never be thirsty again. Testimony of Jesus, spirit of prophecy. There is a day when I, I, I believe if the church will be who we're called to be, there won't be another hungry person on the planet. I truly believe it. It's not what you do. It's how you do what you do. If praying over your kids is just a religious rhetoric that you do every night, it's not what you're doing. It's how you're doing what you're doing. It cannot be a religious rhetoric any longer. How you do what you do is you do what you do with the breath. 
You don't just do it. You're not just bringing turkeys to a family today. You're doing it with the breath. Father God, in the name of Jesus, when I drop this box off, in Jesus' name, I'm praying over this food, I'm praying over this turkey, that even a turkey is good enough to lead somebody to Christ. You talk through a donkey in the Bible, you can speak through this turkey. Your word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let this meal be the best meal that they've ever eaten in their life, and let them turn their face to heaven and say, thank you, Father, you gave me good gifts, and I wasn't even deserving of it. I call on your name for the first time in my life. It's not what you do. It's how you do what you do. If you're not doing it in the anointing, you may as well not do it because you're going to burn out. And you're going to quit the ministry in six months. How do people keep going and going? And Jeff and Damon have been in ministry for, for years and years, and we have too, and you keep going and going. It's not what you do. It's how you do what you do. You do it in the breath. You do it in the power. You do it in the anointing of God. And I want you today, as you go out and put action out there, do what you do with the breath. So much so that Acts 19, 11 says this. And God, was doing, and God was doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of all of TWBC. That's how I read it anyway. I mean, the Bible says Paul, but the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, so I'm going to say he was doing great extraordinary, extraordinary miracles through TWBC. What he did through Paul, he can do through us. Come on. We, we don't just have the Gospels. We got what Paul wrote, too, through his experience. I'll get to experience here in about two seconds because I'm already 10 minutes late. Here we go. God was doing extraordinarily great miracles through Paul or through TWBC so that even handkerchiefs or aprons, in East Texas, I guess it could be acorns, <laughs> even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. It wasn't what he did. It's how he did what he did. He did what he did in the breath. Now listen, whether it be a handkerchief or a turkey that you drop off at somebody's house or a can of corn or a box of stuffing, it's not what you're doing. It's how you're doing what you're doing. If the handkerchiefs can touch the skin of Paul and the anointing, the breath, come off of him onto that and, and take him to sick people and they get healed and made whole. I'm fixing to give some food out this afternoon. I'm prophesying to the breath. You just said you did great and extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. And, and it says that, that a handkerchief or an apron touched his skin... Well, God, I'm about to pick up this box and carry it up a flight of stairs to apartment number 12. And as I'm carrying this box, I want every bit of the anointing of God on my life to flow into this tangible object. I don't know how the anointing is transferable, but it's obviously transferable. It just happened. So the anointing of God in you can fall upon an inanimate object that touches you. And as you hand the inanimate object off with no life in it, it's still carrying life somehow. And it touches the person with no life and life happens and they get healed. That's exactly what just happened. How does that work? I don't know, but we'll sing Unstoppable God. You can go on and on. Amen. <laughs> See, I'm not so concerned with how it works. It just, I read it and I know it works because I've also done it through experience. And I want you to do what you do today in the breath. 
Why is action so important? I want you to talk about the experience for a moment. You need to write this phrase down. If you take an event and connect it to an emotion, you'll remember it forever. If you take an event, connect it to an emotion, you'll remember it forever. Why is that so important? It works good in the bad. If you take an event, connect it to an emotion, you'll remember it forever. The problem is you're only remembering the bad things. If you take an event... Connect it to an emotion. You'll remember it forever. This afternoon, you have the opportunity for an event to be connected to an emotion that you'll remember it forever. I want to go a little bit deeper than this. Hearing does not create an event. Actions create an event. When you came up here and you begin to prophesy to the breath, you were creating an event. When it manifests, you're going to have an emotion that's connected to that event that you'll then remember forever that God answered my prayer at TWBC that Sunday morning. If you take an event and connect it to an emotion, you'll remember the event forever. In psychology, they got something called trauma bonding. Trauma bonding is this. When a catastrophe occurs, those who are involved in it create a special bond that can never be recreated. For example, if you go through a tornado with somebody and you do the cleanup and disaster relief work together, you create a bond with that person that will be remembered forever. That you will remember 10 years down the line, and when you run into that person in another city, you'll be like, remember the time, because that's the first thing that comes back to you. Remember the time. It works like this on the mission field as well. I, I mean, I, me and Heath and April Gamble have gone on several mission trips together with other groups of people. And, and I remember a, a ton about Thailand. I remember a ton about Costa Rica. And I remember every time I see them and they walk through the store, there's a special bond between me and Heath and April Gamble because we've done ministry. We've done life together. We had an event that took place that emotions were attached to that we remember forever. But in the believing world, in the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's more than an event because you're doing the action. It's not what you do. It's how you do what you do. You have the event under the breath, so the anointing comes, and the emotions are coupled with it. You see people saved, delivered, and healed, and we look at each other and say, look at what God did around the world. And 10 years from now, I promise, I can laugh and say, Heath, remember when we were building that fence in Thailand? And he'll just start laughing. And all y'all like, what's so funny? You weren't there. You don't understand it. You can't comprehend it. Because you weren't a part of the event. I know that Jeff and, 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 and Tony and Robin and Misty and all those who went to Thailand this past time, they will laugh about stuff. And I'll be like, what's so funny? You weren't there. You missed the event. And you missed the emotions that were attached to it. And you won't remember it forever because you weren't a part of the event. God's trying to call a group of believers to action with the anointing that will create an event that we do something miraculous that we'll remember forever. Because when 10 years go by, we'll say, remember the time and the testimony of what Jesus did is the spirit of prophecy of what he's about to do. And he's brought emotions in your life to attach to the event so you'll remember it for the rest of your life. Because he said, what I did back for Moses and Elijah and Jesus and Paul and John, I'm doing it for TWBC today. Get an event happening. And it'll change the way you do ministry. In this time, you can sit on the sidelines and watch a team called TWBC change a four-state area. Or you can come be a part of the event 
that's operated through the breath that will create great emotions that go with it. There's a reason y'all are so excited, right? Because you have a great experience here and you're excited about it. And it emotionally triggers something in your life that you remember long-term. You have the opportunity even today to do this as a group of people with 16 other churches. Create an event under the breath, in the breath, that will connect to emotions that you'll remember for the rest of your life. You hearing about this message doesn't create an event. You doing your action does. But I promise, this cannot just stay a this Sunday message. If you want to see great fruit in your Christian walk, if you want to see great fruit in your Christian life, you've got to create an event. You've got to create an action. I'll never forget the first time I took a step of faith. When I knew, when I was 16, I, got, I hadn't even surrendered to the ministry. God was calling on my heart, though, that you need to be in the ministry. I didn't surrender until five years later. But I remember the very first lady that I brought her grocery cart out, that I was submissive to God, and God said, pray for her. And I said, no. And he said, yes. And he said, I'm not going to let her go. She'll keep talking to you until you pray for her. <laughs> and so five minutes later, I'm still saying no, and he's still saying yes. He said, you'll be here all day. And I stopped, and I said, can I pray for you? She broke down. She said, why would you even ask that? God told me to. <laughs> I couldn't say I didn't want to hear, hear you talk all day. God told me to. That was when I was 16. Over, well over, half my life ago. It was an event in the breath that created an action, that an emotion attached to it that I remember vividly to this day. I remember June 22nd, 1988 at Lake Texoma Church Camp with my youth pastor, Mike Mayhew. I was bawling like a little baby. And he took me in his arms and he said, do you know Christ? And I said, I've never known Christ, but I think I need to. And he led me to the Lord Jesus Christ. There was an action under the breath and an event occurred that I had emotions attached to it. And I remember it just like it was yesterday, the day that I got born again. And that's why I'm so passionate because I don't just speak, but I can speak with confidence because of the knowledge and the ability, but because it's done under the, uh, under the breath. An event occurs where you get your life touched and emotions are attached to it. So 10 years down the road, you'll say, I remember the first time I walked in the doors of TWBC. Here's the closing statement I'm going to make. Action creates an event. Anointed action creates kingdom. Action creates an event. We can go out and deliver a thousand turkey dinners today and it's going to be an event. Anointed action creates kingdom. I want you to do what you do under the breath. But I want you to do something. I want you to do something. This is not your great, great, great grandparents gospel. It's not your great, great grandparents gospel. It's not your great grandparents gospel. It's not your grandparents gospel. It's not your parents gospel. It's yours. And God says, it's in your hands, Joel. Do something with it. You can either do what you've always done, and you'll get what you've always got, or the world is wide open to you. I'm ready for the wide open world.
Action creates an event. And anointed action creates kingdom.